I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. As you're doing that, let me mention that on July 11th in the evening, I haven't had the time confirmed to me yet, it's either 7 or 7.30, but we'll be meeting here for my installation service. And so you're invited to join us for that. Uh, Dr. Steve Nichols from Ligonier will be preaching in the morning that morning and then uh, assisting in the evening as well. And so I hope you'll be able to uh, join us. Uh, The passage we'll be looking at is from Ephesians chapter 4, it's verses 11 to 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes." Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Father, we ask now that you would send your spirit to illumine our hearts and minds to receive your truth in Christ's name. Amen. Well, despite my present appearance, uh, at one point in my life, I actually was somewhat muscular. (laughs) I was a wrestler, and you have to work out and do strength training to do that. I did that often. I was also on the swim team, and I was in shape, had a tendency to build your muscles when you're swimming. Now, surprising as it may be, I didn't build my body up at those times when I was in those sports by watching other people lift. It motivated me to see them doing it. They taught me a lot. I needed their leadership, but it it turns out I had to do it myself. And a friend tell me, Drew, you can't buy a muscle and fitness magazine, put it under the pillow, and expect to wake up in the morning in shape. Uh, It won't happen. And it's obvious, and we know that is obvious, that to build up your muscles, you have to participate. However, when it comes to the church, all too often, when it comes to building the body of Christ, we think somewhat differently. We believe that we can kind of stand by and let the ordained pastors or the elders or those with extraordinary teaching gifts do all the work, hard work, and we'll just sit back, soak it in, and mature in the faith. But see, that's not the case. The church is not a spectator sport. You must get involved. You must do the work of the ministry. You see, as I think of my time just starting out here, I'm excited about what God can do in our midst. I'm excited about seeing people saved who, who didn't know Jesus Christ and coming to Christ for salvation. I'm excited about us growing together in the Lord. I'm excited about the, the church growing numerically, but also, more importantly, spiritually with one another. And I believe that that can happen with God's help, and I pray that it does. And yet I know, I know all that excitement will be gone All that excitement will be put aside if I learn and we learn, and this is how our thinking goes, that, well, we'll let the deacons do that, we'll let the elders do that, we'll let the pastors do that, and we sit back. 
It will not work. And I know that's the case, not because I've had that experience, but because it's in the Scriptures. Our passage teaches God never intended for only the pastors and, and the elders of the church to do the work of ministry. In fact, you'll see in this passage, interesting enough, that the pastor's job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Everybody here who claims that they, they belong to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, everybody here that, that has trusted Christ for their salvation, if you're going to grow, if, if the body is going to be built up, this body of believers, you must be equipped to do the work of ministry. That is the main lesson of our passage and the main lesson I want to make this morning. Not only those gifted for ordained ministry, but the entire church should be engaged in spiritual labor. Your attendance here this morning, your attendance at Sunday school, your attendance maybe at a small group, a Bible study, uh, should mean more to you than just meeting with friends, although that's important. And, And learning something, that's important too. But you need to look at those events and those things and say to yourself, are they equipping me for ministry? That's the end game. Now, see, if you were to ask me to just summarize maybe a purpose statement or a a mission statement, some people call a vision statement, I don't know, however you want to word it, uh, what would it be for the church? Well, at least from this passage, it would be equipping the saints for the work of ministry until Christ returns. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry until Christ returns. It's not uh, nothing new. It's not innovative at all. It's basic. It's basic Bible teaching. And, And it's necessary if we are going to glorify God here in our congregation. If we're going to see our church grow and mature, we must have an every member ministry. Now, last week, I, I asked you the question, were you willing to submit yourselves, as it were, uh, and allow the Scripture, submitting yourself to Scripture, and allow it to shape your life and ministry, that you would obey the Word of God, not the words of man? Well, this week, let me ask a different question. Are you equipped for life and ministry? Are you equipped? It's the word we see here in our passage in verse 12. The idea is that of being sufficiently prepared for the task at hand. And the task is the work of ministry, the work of service in God's church and kingdom. And verse 12 clarifies it. It's the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, And now this building project, as we see it here in the passage, is kind of twofold when you look at it. First, it involves bringing the unsaved to Christ, and then it involves the teaching and maturing of those who have come to Christ. Basically, that's your call in life. Everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ, who names the name of Jesus, has received that call. It's a lifelong calling, and it never changes. It never ends until Christ returns. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Uh, And so what we're talking about here will not be attained until Christ returns. We strive for it now. We work at it now. But as Paul says in Philippians 3, we, we, we haven't made it our own yet. 
He says, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I have reached the goal. I have attained it all. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And he says, he's straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, look, marvelous progress can be made in the Christian life, but only when we get to heaven will we fully realize what we've been striving for now. And yet we are to strive. That's the point. And so here's the question again. Do you have the equipment necessary to persevere in your lifelong calling to grow and mature in Christ and to help others do the same? Are you prepared for that? Have you been equipped? That is your calling. Another way of saying it is that you are called to be discipled and you're called to disciple others. Now, everybody is to enter into that ministry relationship. You should have someone in your life who's discipling you, someone you can reach out to that's personal. You can reach out to the pastors whenever you want. You can reach out to the elders, of course, but somebody who's in your life discipling you, and you, in turn, have someone in your life that you're discipling. And when you come to church, when you're here for worship now, maybe Sunday school, uh, they're all vitally important, and they are means of discipleship, of course. But what I'm talking about here is something more than just receiving the message, sitting in the pew or in the Sunday school class and hearing the message, all necessary, and I'll bring that up. Discipleship, though, is more than that. It's relational. It's living life together. And so you must be in a personal relationship with other believers who can help you mature in the faith, and you must be in a personal relationship with others helping them grow in the faith. It's personal. It's relational. Jesus modeled this for us. You know, Jesus did say that he came to preach the word. All these people were gathering around him, wanting to be healed, and he said that we need to leave this place so I can go preach. That is necessary. But he also discipled 12 men. Who, who, who he sent out to disciple others. Well, what did Jesus do? What do we find in the Gospels? Well, he preached, yes, and he taught, yes, but he, he spent time with them. He ate meals with them. He was able to take his teaching and apply it specifically to their lives because he knew what was going on in their lives. He ministered to them. He gave them a model to follow, and then he sent them out into the world to do the same for others and make disciples. And, and, and the power of that model, think about it, Jesus, 12 men who didn't understand who he was, had often made rash decisions. Uh, one kind of fell away. Uh, and, and, and so what happens is, well, Jesus dies, he rises again, and then those 12, he ascends into heaven, Jesus, and those 12 go out, and they change the world. They changed the world. Acts tells us they turned the world upside down. Those 12 men are 11 plus uh, uh, you know, lacking Judas. And so they, they, they radically changed the world. How did they do it? They followed Jesus' model. That small band of disciples, the gospel was spread across the globe, and the church has grown and continues to grow right up to this day. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. That's the method. It's still the same. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Now, Paul here doesn't leave us with this vague notion Um, what a mature disciple is. If we're to equip people so they'll mature in the faith, Paul gives us actual a description. He gets a little bit more specific of what maturity for a church and maturity for an individual looks like. It's not just a general 
uh, painting that he, pay, uh, that he paints. It, it's specific. If you have an every member ministry building up the body of Christ, there are certain characteristics that result in that. What does that church look like? You'll be able to notice it in the individual lives or when you look at a church. You'll be able to say, now there's a mature church. And, and it won't be because, well, there's a mature church, every seat is filled. That would be wonderful. I just said I'd love to pray for that and see that happen. It's not because you're the biggest or the brightest or the richest or what, fill in the blank. He gives us some specific things we need to see, and so we need to evaluate ourselves. The first one is this. It's unity. In the beginning of chapter 4, Paul spoke of unity as something that, that the church already has. It's something we already have and we have to maintain it. Verses 4 and 5, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. If you go through that, there's seven unities there. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. Those seven unities we have already, but we need to maintain them. We need to maintain them. Paul says in verse 3, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We are one. We are united in Christ. We're one. Uh, But we need to maintain that, that unity. But now we're in verse 13, and Paul speaks of a unity that needs to be attained. We have one that was maintained. Now we have to find this one we have to attain. It does not yet exist. Not in its full expression, at least. It's something we must aspire to. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So Paul defines this unity we need to attain in two parts. It's the unity of the faith and the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, the unity of the faith refers to the doctrines of the faith. That's, the, that's what he's speaking of. It's not referring to your, your response of faith to the gospel, but the theological content of Christianity. And it is the faith once entrusted to the saints, as, as, as Jude says in verse 3. A mature church strives for doctrinal unity. That's, the, that's what he's speaking of here. Strives to be united around these great teachings of the Bible. Not everything We have disagreements, Uh, not every doctrine we're going to agree on, but we strive for this unity. We're not going to reach it yet. But if you're grounded in doctrine, as he's saying here, but if you are grounded, the church as a whole will be a church, look at verse 14, that are no longer children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Understand that if you are not grounded in doctrine, in the truths of the gospel, you will be led astray like a child who is easily deceived. That's what Paul says. And you'll remain weak in the faith rather than grow and mature. You know, we we love children. We're not talking about little children here. It's obviously making a point, but we love children. We love having them around, right? But but an adult who, who acts like a child, not so much do we? You know, it's great when little children run around. If an adult did it, we'd be like, all right, something's wrong. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, and and you haven't grown in your doctrinal understanding of the Word of God, 
Some less than others, some more than others. That's not the point how much you know, but you're growing. If you're not doing that, though, Paul says, look, you're a child, and you're supposed to be an adult. Hebrews says it this way, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so if you want to grow up in every way, as Paul says here in verse 15, in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, uh, uh, then you must continue to grow in your knowledge of the Bible and of theology. Uh, It must go beyond just mere knowledge, though. This isn't about passing and winning the Trivial Pursuit Contest. You can answer all the questions um, that are asked of you. James Boyce says, we can't, what can be packed into our head, it cannot be limited to that. It must also trickle down into our heart and into our lives and, and, and flow out of our life as a believer. See, the second part of this unity, we had the unity of the faith. The second part, the knowledge of the Son of God, that's an experiential knowledge. See, the the doctrines of the faith shouldn't just make you proud when you can outsmart someone with more Scripture. What they're supposed to do is warm your heart towards Christ. Uh, They're supposed to spark in you this passion to live for Jesus, uh, having a a passionate relationship with Christ. And, And that results in living out your faith before the world. And so it's an experiential Knowledge as we fellowship with our Savior and fellowship with one another. People should look at your life and and look at your actions and at least generally be able to discern what you believe in your heart and mind because the two are supposed to correspond. Now, we realize that doesn't always happen, but that is the goal. See, doctrine is practical. It's very practical. Everything you do as a Christian is really grounded in what you believe. As an aside, if I go off in sin today, I know doctrine. I know I shouldn't have done that. But what I actually am believing at that moment is who cares what God says. And so our, our beliefs shape how we act. And that's what Paul understood. That's how he wrote the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters of Ephesians are what God has done for us in Christ. And, and then the rest of the book is about what we do for Christ because we're related to him. He says, because he is righteous, you have been declared righteous. That has happened. Because he has eternal life. Paul says, you have eternal life. Because he's an heir of the kingdom, you are co-heirs with him. He's risen from the dead. You will also be bodily resurrected. Because of those doctrinal truths, Paul can say in chapter 4, verse 1, therefore... He says, he says, this is all true. You, you are righteous in Christ. You do belong to Jesus. You have been given eternal life already. You are a co-heir with him in his kingdom. You will resurrect. Therefore, I entreat you to walk today in a manner worthy of the gospel. In light of what Christ has done for you, therefore you are now called to live a certain way. And so this first result of a church that is equipping the saints for the work of ministry is that they will work to maintain the unity that they already have, and they will strive, and they'll have to do it through 
teaching doctrine, like the confession that's being taught during uh, Sunday school, strive to attain the unity of the faith and this experiential knowledge of the Son of God. When you see that happening in a church, that's one of the marks you can say, there's a mature church. Second, uh, another specific uh, result or goal of equipping the saints and a sign that a church is mature is simply by saying teamwork. Working together. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, he says, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When each part is working properly. See, that's why we need to strive for an every member ministry. If every member is not doing his or her part, the church is not functioning properly. Paul often uses this body imagery to describe the church because he knows, like our bodies, each part has a role to play. Some parts seem more important than others. We know that. But, but each part has a role to play in our bodies. And when each part is working properly... Paul takes that analogy and says the church will grow and not be stifled or stunted. I mentioned when um, in the introduction that I was a wrestler. And uh, I have people that I knew I wrestled with that had to lose a lot of weight when they were in high school in their formative years, and they never grew beyond that. It stunted their growth. Their muscles and bones were deprived of the proper nutrients, right? And, and so they never got any taller, Well, Paul understood that. He says, when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. It's it's stunted in its growth. And if we're going to grow as a church, we must all be working together to do that. Each person doing his part in every member ministry. I know I keep repeating that, but I'm doing it on purpose. And so that's the second sign of a mature church. It strives for unity, and there's an every member ministry. We're all working together. Third, Another result of equipping the church and a sign of maturity is Christ-likeness. This one should be obvious. It was hinted at already. Look again at verse 13, this time at the second half, till we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. A mature believer is one who is being conformed more and more into the image of Jesus. Uh, remember when Satan attacked in the garden, he attacked at that very focus. Man was created in the image of God, and Satan questioned that by suggesting that if they disobey God and eat the fruit, they would become like God, right? So they weren't in the image of God. They would become like God. Well, the result of that decision when they fell into sin was what? They didn't become like God, did they? They became like Satan. Uh, But see, for those of us now who are redeemed in Christ— who have been redeemed by Jesus, if we have embraced the gospel, we're becoming more like him and less like Satan. More like him and less like the worldly flesh. Christ is our standard, and it's into his likeness that we need to be growing. And so a third sign that a church is equipping the saints and maturing is when its members are being more and more conformed to the image of Christ. It's when outsiders, as it were, could see Christ in you. And so that's the third. Fourth is growing and maturing. Another sign is love. Now this one we should know. Verse 15 says, Speaking the truth in love, 
And the end of verse 16 says, When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow, that it builds itself up in love. Paul says we are to be speaking and living the truth in a loving manner. Unity is vitally important. We talked about that. Truth is vitally important. Growing in Christ-likeness is vitally important. But none of those things can be separated from love. See, if you, if you subtract love from unity, then what you're left with is tyranny. It's, it's where human standards are kind of forced upon the congregation to keep them outwardly united. If you subtract love from truth, then all you have is cold and bitter orthodoxy. And no one will want to listen to that truth. And if you subtract love from growing in Christ-likeness, what you end up with is self-righteousness. And so you see the greatest of these is love in that way. If you express love, if you love God, if you love Christ, if you love the Bible, if, if you love one another, and if you love the lost, you will grow and mature in those other areas I mentioned. Love for others produces unity. Love for the Bible produces growth and maturity in the knowledge of the truth. A love for God and Christ results in you conforming into the image of Jesus Christ. And love is indispensable, and you cannot express love without being in a relationship with others and with God. And so if we as a church and you as an individual are going to mature and grow, if we're going to be built up in the faith, we must be in vital relationship with one another, as I mentioned earlier. And that leads me to say, it's just a practical application, I think. I cannot stress enough the importance of being involved in a small group of some kind. Um, We have life groups, I believe. I know they slowed down during... COVID, but we have life groups, we have men's studies, we have women's studies, being in a group outside of Sunday. Now, I'll also say this, the, you'll, you'll learn from me very quickly that the single most important thing, or the thing I think is the single most important truth that you can understand, and the way you're going to mature in the faith is coming to worship week in and week out. I believe that. I believe it's the most important thing you do all week is worship the Lord when you're engaged in worshiping the Lord. However, as true as that is, if you believe you are going to mature and be equipped for the work of ministry until Christ returns by sitting and just hearing a sermon once a week, well, that's kind of silly, right? If I said to you, no, I am going to get built again like when I was 20, and so one hour a week... I'm going to do jumping jacks. And you'd be like, you don't have enough lifetimes to get back in shape just doing that. And yet that's what we think when it comes to church, just one hour a week. If we're going to mature and be equipped, we need to spend more than an hour. Christ was the best preacher to ever walk on the face of the earth, of course, And yet he spent a lot of his time in that context of teaching in relationship with his disciples, teaching them. And then what's he do? He sends them out to do the same. And so active involvement in some type of small group or outside Bible study, another discipleship relationship where you can effectively love one another is vital for the church's growth and maturity as well as your own growth and maturity. And so keep that 
in mind. Well, equipping the saints for the work of ministry until Christ returns. It's no small vision for a church. It's not easy. Building up the body of Christ is never going to be easy. Maturing and growing is not easy. We have sin to contend with. We have the sin of others to contend with. We have Satan to contend with, the world that draws us away. All those things are hard. But it's to encompass your whole life and demands of you diligence. It demands of us perseverance. But you're not left to yourself. That's the good news. You don't do this in your own strength to accomplish this task. Christ does the work of making the body grow. It is on him. Look again at verses 15 and 16. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. From whom, says verse 16, from whom Jesus makes the body grow. That refers to the Lord. Power for producing maturity in your life, power for equipping believers comes not from the effort of those believers alone, but from the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. And he's provided means for that, which we've looked at, but it's from Christ that the body in all its parts derives its life. It's by Christ's power that the body of Christ is joined and held together. Christ is the head of the church. He's redeemed men and women to be part of his church. He gives life to the church, and then he builds his church. And not only this, Christ himself gives the church gifted men to lead and equip the saints, pastors, under shepherds, placed under his shepherding care. Look at verse 11. And he gave, referring to Jesus, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He gave us them. He gifted the church these men. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list of the gifts. I'll mention it again in a moment, but Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 are where you can see the other gifts of the Spirit. Here in these verses, he's spoken on the gift of communication. That's the focus here. The first two, apostles and prophets, they're foundational gifts. They were necessary for the starting of the New Testament, New Covenant Church, and they're no longer given today. For example, to be an apostle, you had to see the risen Lord. Um, He's ascended now. We haven't seen him in that way. And so, no, we don't have apostles today. We don't have prophets. We don't need prophets. We have all the Scripture. The evangelist, he gives, and the pastor and the teacher, their gifts, Christ gives to the church today to do what? Equip the saints. And see how perfectly he equips the church? What did I say the two purposes were? We need to bring the unsaved to Christ, and then we need to teach them so that they mature after they've come to Christ. And so what does he do? Well, he redeems us, he brings us into the body of Christ, and then we need to bring people in the body, so he brings us and gives us evangelists. And then once they're in the body, after the evangelists have done their work, where are they to go? They come to church and they have teachers. He's provided for everything. Uh, and Christ has provided the gift of evangelism, one writer wrote, to bring people to himself and the gift of pastor teacher to teach and mature those who have come to him for salvation. In the introduction, I mentioned that weightlifting, and I needed to do it myself. But I also needed someone to to train me. 
and I was trained. I can remember wanting to just give up. If I were doing it all alone, just wanting to give up, and I remember the trainer looking at me and saying, this isn't playtime, Drew. Get back out there. And I'm... But I needed him to help me. Well, in the same way, Christ has given us teachers. He's given us uh, elders. He's given us those who can train us. He's given us examples and evangelists uh, for the work of ministry. That is their role. And your role is to learn from them and then teach others to do the same. Now, let me be clear on something because it could be confusing. An evangelist, for example, an evangelist is the person who goes out, shares the gospel, and and sees uh, people come to Jesus for the first time. That's the idea, right? That's what an evangelist does. Well, you you don't get to stop and say, whew, I don't have that gift. I don't have to talk to unbelievers. Now, that's not the point. Um, you, 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 it's the same with the other gifts that we may talk about in the near future. It, you don't, just because you don't have the gift of evangelism doesn't mean you don't evangelize. It means that the person with the gift sets the example for you and they teach you so that you can do it. It's, if it was dependent upon the person with the gift of evangelism, it would be in our own hands. It's not. It's in God's hands. And he gives those gifts. Uh, the pastor and teachers of the church, the ones who are ordained, set apart, are not the only ones who are to teach. The, the shepherds of the church are to equip the saints so they can go do the work of discipling others in the faith. It's not the pastor's job to do it all. You are to do it. That is how the body is to function effectively. The head of the body, who is who? Jesus gives gifted men to the church in the form of evangelists and pastor teachers to equip you so you could do the work of ministry, which is what? Building up the body of Christ, edifying the church. And so you kind of see we come full circle. I say it again. Are you equipped? Are are you equipped for the work of ministry? And so what I want to do in light of that is make one practical application. You can say several things here. I mentioned already going to a Bible study and being involved in a small group. But let me say this. Discover your gift. What is your gift? Well, there's a list of gifts in the passages uh, that I mentioned. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. There's these different gifts. And you look at them and you say to yourself, uh, this is just practically speaking, what, what am I good at? You know, am I good at hospitality? Well, you're not going to know unless you try. And so maybe you say, I'm going to open up my home. And if you're a disaster at it, we'll let you know. But, but if you're great at it, praise God. I, I remember um, my professor when I said, I feel called to be a preacher. I think that's my gift. I remember him saying, well, Drew, it's one thing to feel like you're called to be a preacher. It's another thing for the congregation to be called to listen to you. <laughs> and so you have to confirm those calls. And so you show hospitality, and that's confirmed. You, you start teaching a, a discipleship group, and you learn, and you can go through the gifts. You pray, and the gift of prayer, it's hardly seen by some. Because you're praying in your prayer closet. We don't know, but you could be an example to others to pray. And all these gifts are gifts that we all should be participating in. I, you know, it's, it's great. I could say, you know what, I don't have the gift of giving, so I don't have to do it. Who has the gift of giving? Nobody would claim that one. You, you, 
if you have a gift, you set an example. So I see your faith and willingness to sacrifice in your giving, and so I do the same. And so find out your gift. Ask others what they think. Practice it. Open up your, try to teach a discipleship course. It's okay if you fail. Um, and then let the Lord work in your life. See, there's wisdom in many counselors, Proverbs says. And so there's an opportunity for you to know your gift and use it. But remember, just because you don't have a certain gift doesn't mean you're not to serve in that area of ministry. You need to remember that. Well, let me close by exercising, although I may not have the gift of it, by exercising the gift of an evangelist. I'm going to close and ask you, are you part of the body of Christ? Those here, those listening online. Are you a believer? I'm not asking if you come to church. It's obvious you have. You're here with me. I'm not asking if you're a member of the church. There's a lot of people who are members that aren't part of the body of Christ officially. I'm asking, have you believed the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to redeem sinners? He died for their sins and rose again for your justification, to declare you righteous and forgive you. Is that the message you believe? Have you ever trusted in Christ alone for your salvation? See, do you believe he died to take away your sin? If you believe that, if that's the message you believe, then understand you have now the privilege of being united to Jesus and united to the body at large. And now you're to serve out your Christian life here in the church that you're part of uh, because you've been brought into that body through Jesus. And if this is the first moment you've ever believed that message, well, welcome to the body of Jesus Christ. He will gift you, and you will be a blessing to all of us, as we hope we're a blessing to you. And so, ask yourself, do I believe, and am I equipped until Christ returns? Let's pray. Our great God and our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge how dependent we are upon your Spirit to discern these things, to understand them, to function um, in a way that you have called us to function. And so we ask that you would pour out your Spirit upon this church, that you would build us up, that we would see the lost saved, that we would see the believer maturing and, and, and reaching out here and even around the world. And so we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.